Jacob Barnes disagree with the decision to go for it on fourth and goal. After losing yards on third down from the two-yard line, I don't like it, but again, you know, it's a non-conference game. Well, there he rolling the dice, and he brings Israel at the goal line. Does he get in? Let me make us look like Jokes with that decision. Touchdown. Kyle Israel ties the game early in the fourth quarter, and you certainly can't accuse that coaching staff and George O'Leary for not playing to win. Texas's defense has not solved Kyle Israel keeping the football and running. Washed up, boy. So the washed up ladies and gents, welcome back to another episode of 407 Legends. So we've had some double 407 legends, RB Leggins, Bernard Morris, but our guest tonight is our first triple 407 legends. That means he did his thing in high school, college, and the pros, all within Orange County. So welcome to the show, Kyle Israel, class of 2004, University High School quarterback. Kyle, what's good, brother? How's it going, guys? Glad to uh, glad to be on the show and, and love what you're doing with it and the premise and uh, super excited to be here tonight. Hey, man, we appreciate it, man. We first want to say thanks for taking the time to come hang out with us. Definitely. definitely. For, for sure, man. Well, let's dig into your playing career a little bit, man. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the football talk, word on the street is that you could also have a future in baseball. Uh, was there ever a time that baseball had more of your focus than football? Um, I think naturally when I was younger talking, you know, I grew up, right off of Dean road was basically in East Orlando for the first 18 years of my life and played a lot of baseball at union park, little league, um, from the age of nine to like 15. And, and I would say that that was predominantly my focus, uh, played AAU baseball. Obviously it's, it's not what it is today with the crazy travel baseball schedule, but I would say that I was, uh, probably then, you know, to myself and, you know, to others, a better baseball player than I was football player. So, yeah, I think that was a focus to me all the way through my senior year in high school. Um, once I committed to UCF to play football, Coach O'Leary uh, understood that uh, Texas A&M had offered me to play baseball. Um, I had a couple other small schools uh, where I could play, play baseball, but um, I wanted to do that at UCF if I could, and uh, Coach O'Leary just didn't want a quarterback playing baseball in the spring. So, um, yeah, I loved baseball. I've, it's hard to watch it on TV if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> okay. but yeah. Baseball was definitely a big part of my, my childhood growing up for sure. Okay. Um, you know, the contracts in baseball are a little different, man. What, what I guess essentially kind of drew you more towards football? Well, I, you know, I think I just enjoyed the game more uh, quarterback and football is obviously from an offensive perspective involved in every element of the game and touches the ball every play. And um, then when you get into college, as many know, football has full scholarships, baseball um, split scholarships among a team, right? right. So there's yep. like 17 scholarships split among 30 something guys. It's, it's a totally different scenario. Um, so it just made more sense at the, at the collegiate level, you know, to take the full scholarship. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So how did you come about playing the quarterback position? Was it just something that naturally happened from the first time you put pads on? 
It's a good question for me specifically. So uh, I, I actually started playing my first year of football in Pop Warner for the Zelia Park Wildcats. I, I was an offensive lineman, a right guard. I was always a bigger kid, uh, mm-hmm. I would say. And then from there, I moved to fullback and linebacker from really junior peewees, uh, so like eight years old, through the freshman year of high school. I had exclusively always played middle linebacker and fullback. So I... I, I enjoyed the the toughness element of game. I enjoyed contact. Um, I was pretty relaxed off the field and laid back, but very intense on the field. And then as I got into my freshman year of high school, we were probably into like the third or, third or fourth day of practice, and our quarterback, I was the starting fullback and middle linebacker then, mm-hmm. uh, got after school suspension. Oh, and, oh wow. Um, our coach, coach Ron Jesse was like, you know, can anybody play quarterback? And I could throw the football. I knew that from like flag football in middle school uh, and stuff, okay. but I had never really like played the position. Um, and I played, you know, that practice and, um, you know, the entire next week kind of going into the first game. And <clears throat> I was number 44 to start the season, changed my number to number seven, like right there in that week and became the starting quarterback on the freshman football team. We went undefeated 6-0 and that year, um, and then I ended up getting moved up to varsity and playing in some of the games towards the end of the season. And it was kind of that's when my focus shifted, like that next offseason going into my sophomore year. I knew that I was going to be the starter at university, and I, I knew that now this is, you know, what football would look like for me. And so I started to actually, you know, you know train as a quarterback. So – it happened very randomly. Um, I guess I'm, 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 I'm lucky that that uh, young man who was our quarterback got after school suspension, which right. basically allowed me to, I, I don't know what would have, my life would be dramatically different. I know that much. So that's how it happened for me. Very random and in, in very, in, in a way that I didn't anticipate, but it was really unique because I always played very aggressively in high school. I ran the football a lot from the quarterback position. Yeah. And I was cool with contact. And I think that playing fullback and linebacker was a big, big piece of that. Yeah, so that definitely explains the uh, the running uh, yeah. aspect to your game. Just so don't say, that, yeah. Just say. <laughs> yeah. Goodness, man, that's crazy. So you definitely owe that teacher a box of chocolates or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you become you know, first team all state in the highest classification of Florida high school football. Uh, do you remember that that felt like when you received that news? And uh, was there a specific game from that season that you felt really put you on the map? Yeah. Um, so I, we played Winter Park my senior year, uh, one of those Thursday night high school games, like kind of mm-hmm. towards the later part of the year, and it was. For the game wasn't for the district championship, but it was basically um, for our side of the district championship. And uh, I just had a huge game. Um, We Mm. were, I think I had five touchdown passes. I might've ran a touchdown. Um, And we were down by 14 points with, I think six or seven minutes left to go in the game. And we ended up scoring two touchdowns and kept drives alive on fourth down a couple different times. Um, and Winter Park was incredible. Colin Rayhill was a quarterback who, who went to play college lacrosse, actually. But they had a very talented team, R.J. Summerall, some of those other guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so that, that game for me really made me 
built the confidence in me that like, okay, I, I can play the game. And I kind of yeah. knew that the two years leading into that, but it just felt kind of like a significant game. Uh, one yeah. over, I still remember riding the bus home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that, that was a really different, di- you know, a game I can definitely point to. I, I, na- I was named first team all state athlete and, and um, a guy out of Deerfield beach his his name escapes me now um, was first team all state quarterback. And actually I, I thought that was uh, pretty cool to be, mm-hmm. to, be, to be honest, because I never really, I saw myself as like a stumbling, bumbling guy that could throw the football <laughs> and was accurate, like super physical, but not the play before and watch him come throw this block right up there. And I'm telling you what, if, if Summerall, excuse me, if Wilson wouldn't have gotten the ankle there, Israel threw a, would have thrown a key block to let Smith go down that sideline. But you love to see your quarterback get physical in a ball game. The offensive line loves it when they see their guy do that on film. Not the fastest yeah. guy. I was yeah. I could get a 20 yard run, but you weren't going to see me go 60 to the house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, I thought it was really cool and unique. And it's something that I I still bring up in in conversations and wherever I'm out of the work that I do, uh, I'll say, yeah, "Yeah, I was team. I'll say athlete actually. Um, There it is. So I put that in there. (laughs) I like that though. I I think that holds a little more weight than just the court. I think it does too. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And for the fans that and the listeners that don't quite understand game, or Tim Tebow than Lamar Jackson, but you know, still got the job done for sure. Talk to us about receiving that gold Hall of Fame jacket from University. What did that feel like? You know, I think it was kind of unique because the guard had kind of changed over time. The people that were at university had changed. And I always kind of wondered in the back of my head, um, you know, people had told me from time to time, we're going to retire your jersey. And I don't know that those things are super significant, but they feel good. And, and I, you know, I love university because it's really a unique school. A lot of people overlook, you know, it's kind of, you know, right there in the middle between like East Orlando and, you know, Union Park is um, personally, I think, kind of overlooked. And so I was always really mm. proud to go to university and be from university. And, um, you know, for them to reach out to me at the time and say, we're going to do this new thing and retire, you know, your number and put you in the Hall of Fame. You know, obviously I was, you know, thrilled and, you know, thankful. And it's something cool that, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years, I can kind of still look back on or go into that stadium and see my name and number. And it brought back some really good memories that you tend to forget over time. People, Mm -hmm. moments, you know, these important things in life that as, as the years go by, they're not so prominent anymore and you kind of forget how much you cherish the time that you were a part of something. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, that gave me a chance to remember all those things that I cherish being a part of and what was ultimately a special time in my life. Um, And then it was great for my family. I think they, you know, I I probably, if you went to a university game when I was playing, I had a a parent section, students, (laughs) you know, in in my family of like 15, 16 people that would come. And for a lot of them to be there, it was, it was kind of a nice little way to close that chapter of my life. Um, You know, in the way that I had envisioned when I was a player, like, man, I could, I could really be something here. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I don't get too wrapped up in those things, but I appreciated the nudge for me to reflect and, and that's ultimately what it allowed me to do. For sure. While you were in high school, what did you prefer? A passing touchdown or a running touchdown? <laughs> well, what was your favorite? <laughs> yeah, that's, a good, that's also a good question, man. <laughs> um, I think I think the the touch, the rushing touchdowns where I was running somebody over or it was like a super physical run uh, is really hard to beat that. But um, I was always being, you know, my recruiting was early in my career to some extent, my sophomore year. And then I got a new coach who ran the triple option my junior year and yeah. running probably like a four, eight, 40 realistically my mm-hmm. junior year. And so it was very frustrating to have been in a passing, somewhat passing offense my sophomore than this option my junior year. Uh, um, and so my senior year, when we he completely changed, give credit to him, Coach Flath, he like completely changed his offense for me and we threw it. And so I really enjoyed throwing the football my senior year and, you know, touchdown passes were – were a lot of fun, but they were also like this. I was still proving myself to myself. Mm-hmm. My, I was still like proving that I could play the position at an elite level and not do it in only this kind of raw way. Mm-hmm. Um, which my junior year running the option, like it was all raw. It was all like yeah. just tough and get extra yards and, you know, run downhill and my senior year is like okay can I sit back here in a pocket and deliver the football on target on time with pace with trajectory and do all these things that colleges are looking for and so I enjoyed the passing element definitely my senior year but I always loved knowing that if our team needed to get four or five yards that like I could go and get that for sure. <laughs> I like um, so let's move on to college uh, you were one of the top pro style quarterbacks coming out which you know I found a Let's say a little disrespectful to the athleticism. I mean, you did run for 700 yards and 14 touchdowns your senior year. But uh, talk to us about your recruiting process and what other schools are showing interest and why you ultimately decided on UCF. Yeah, so it was a really big roller coaster for me. I think I learned a lot when I'm advising guys through the process now. You know, again, it had this very inflated beginning. A lot of letters, a lot of phone calls, um, you know, Uh, earlier offers from smaller schools which were nice and then kind of went away Uh, my junior year I had no like my stats were limited because of this style of offense Mm -hmm. and um, it started to pick back up uh, going into the my senior year but still I would say I was very kind of not not concerned every day but there was a lack of clarity on where I stood from a recruiting process thought of me and I was also like at the time a bigger kid like I was still trying to like be comfortable in my own skin because I was 230 231 I felt Mm -hmm. chunky I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I looked like quarterbacks I saw on tv or Mm -hmm. at other programs in the county and I was constantly feeling like I needed like prove myself and evolve who I was as a quarterback so in that time frame you know the interest was low Um, or at least the expressed interest. And as we got into my senior year, my coach, luckily, John Flath, again, did an extremely great job of helping me in the recruiting process and sending out videos and talking to coaches. It was very important for him to do that. um, For like, that was his approach. And um, I had an, an offer from Boston college very early in my senior year. Um, but not too long after Matt Ryan committed there and 
Um, and then I kind of went through another lull. But we finished the season pretty incredibly my senior year. I think we – I don't even know what our record was that year. But we, we had a nice run before the playoffs. And eventually um, came in and offered. And that was in November, mid-November. Mm-hmm. And I was always talking on the phones with coaches and stuff. But I didn't – I wasn't feeling like I had legitimate scholarship offers. Yeah. And Florida State offered, and I, I kid you not, I got offered by 15 or 20 schools within the next three days. That's how that works, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just one trigger. And, and then the final couple for me and were, were UCF, Penn yeah. State, Mississippi State, um, FAU, or were, were kind of the final four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Florida State. Uh, I took official visit to Florida State and and uh, decided to, to go to UCF. Coach O'Leary recruited me really hard. Florida yeah. State wanted me to gray shirt until the next January. Plus, we had Xavier Lee and Drew Weatherford in my same class. And so, yeah. yeah. UCF said – and I have a huge family in East Orlando. And, you know, Coach O'Leary did a good job of recruiting me. So, it was very backloaded for me. It was very quick and intense and a lot of decisions made in a short period of time. Um. Mm-hmm. But it did feel good. It was, it, but it was a roller coaster at times. There's a lot of guys that you know get offered very early on, and that kind of pressure is taken off. And um, you know, for me, it took a little bit longer. So that first year, man, on uh, campus at UCF, how was campus life for a starting quarterback at the largest school in the state of Florida, one of the largest schools in the country? And um, how did you manage to stay focused? Well, I, I think that I had really good advice from you know, the people around me, my high school coach for, you know, what my process should be for going into UCF. And, um, you know, I really tried to go in with, with an open mind. I was very confident. Um, I was good friends with Stephen Moffat, who was out of Winter Park. And, you know, him and I, in the three years that we played together at UCF, always had this, like, really respectful, like, good friend relationship. And so, I think that dynamic also helped very early in my career um, because there was, it was a crapshoot. I mean, all of us started, me, him, and Brandon Sumner started various games in that 2004 season. We didn't win a football game. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, it was challenging, um, but you could tell the school was going through a transition. Coach O'Leary had said that in the recruiting process, you're going to be helping build a foundation Someday you're going to look back and you're going to see like how critical this time period was. And this program is going to be in places today are hard to imagine. And all of that has come true. Um, But it was tough initially um, that specific season. And, you know, not winning a football game is challenging. I had a stress fracture in my ankle, which which made it tough. But I really just tried to dial in to kind of each day and take it as it came, you know, um, it, everything feels so different today because you have these seven on seven leagues in the off season. Yeah. And everybody's kind of familiar with guys in their grade and in their mm-hmm. age and where everybody's going to school and, um, college is just kind of the next step and right. everybody's kind of at this big side. Like for me going into UCF then in 2004, like we hadn't turned that corner in society where social media was so pervasive and all these different things, good and bad. Right. So it was just like a holy, you know, 
wow, I'm, these are big guys. This is <laughs> big time football. And mm-hmm. um, I just tried to focus on kind of each day. And, and Coach O'Leary was a tough coach. So uh, he didn't allow us to do anything other than that. But it was very hard. Uh, yeah. Not one game. Um, and being at the beginning of, of, of kind of this building of a program. Yep, exactly. Um, so you make your first career start as a true freshman. Uh, just talk about like what that week of preparation was like. And, um, you know, be honest, how nervous were you? Because I know it's a pretty big step up from high school. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I was super nervous. The most the thing I was most nervous about is my first start came when I started to have serious issues with my ankle. Okay. Um, so I remember not being completely healthy or feeling completely healthy. I believe I may have started a game versus Rice, which may have been my first start um, that year. I can't remember. But, um, you know, I just wasn't I wasn't completely focused on playing. I was focused on figuring out how I could be healthy. Right. Um, and Kyle, sorry yeah. to cut you off. Was this a, yeah. a, an a injury from high school or a previous no. injury or – no, good question. So I, I'm not really sure where it came from. It was a oh. it was a, a stress fracture right on my shin, and I think it came from just the amount of repetition that uh, uh, it was my right ankle. So it was the foot I plan off of and you know push up into the pocket with. And in high school, I was shotgun completely at UCF. We were mostly under center, and uh, when you're dropping back five or seven step drops way more in your life than you ever have like the wear on my foot or my ankle it ended up stress fracturing and so i just wasn't healthy and it was disappointing i still remember you know the stem so like i had that on my ankle just above the inside of my ankle during the game and when i would come off onto the sideline they'd pull my sock down and put the stem on to try and like help numb the pain so It was cool to be from Orlando, to have gone to UCF games since I was 10 and gone to the Citrus Bowl, you know, if you like it, if you don't like it, whatever. Like I had gone to game there, there games Mm. there, and that's what UCF was to me. So to play and to start and in front of my family was incredible. But from a a competitor's perspective, it was frustrating because I was injured at the time. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have some really good games your your junior year, uh, but that senior year is special, man. Uh, just kind of list some things. You lead the team to victory over NC State, which was uh, UCF's only second victory over a Power 5 opponent um, at that time. Uh, you start the first game ever at Bright House Network Stadium and go toe-to-toe with the sixth-ranked University of Texas, uh, only falling short by three points. <clears throat> and then you beat Tulsa, winning UCF's uh, first-ever Conference USA Championship in your home stadium. I know this is hard, but which of those moments rank highest for you? Um, I, I think anytime you win a championship, it's special. And mm-hmm. it's special because it's special to everybody on the team. Um, and we going 0-11 our freshman year, there was 20 or 22 guys out of our class that did not redshirt, that played as true freshmen. Mm-hmm. Oh. And – None of us ever thought a stadium would be built by the time we were uh, leaving the program. (laughs) And after that first year, I'm not sure that we ever thought we could compete for a conference championship. So the championship was super special. And um, there's moments of that game I won't forget. And it it was exciting leading up to it. You know, the few weeks Hmm. leading up to it when you knew you had a chance to make it. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to host it. Um, 
those were that was it, it was just special to win. You know, there's no better feeling than mm-hmm. winning. We played close to Texas, right? We were in that ball game. Great um, game. There were some plays I'd like to have back myself, certainly. Um, but that was also exciting because it was the first time that you could feel how special, you know, what we saw kind of coming up out of the ground was actually going to be, right. and, you know, you were all summer. We watched just like erector set of stadium. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. And you're yeah. like, I wonder what that's going to be like. I wonder what that's going to feel like. And then when you're in the locker room and at the time they hadn't reinforced the stadium, it was just boom, you know, it was so loud. <laughs> Yeah, I think you know people. People took us seriously. The crowd that day was insane, mm. um, and and so I think I think the championship really really stands out. But you know, having grown up and gone to high school in the shadow shadow of campus to like just drive from the Hilton that day or the Radisson in right there on fifty and Alafaya into campus, like down Fraternity Row, and just like see for the first time ever what tailgating looked like at UCF Uh, and how special it was, like just insane. (laughs) Um, And I get goosebumps kind of thinking just about all those little things that you've always imagined how they would be, and then you're experiencing them. Um, So I think the whole season, but the championship game sticks out to me because it's just you can't replace winning championships. Know your, you know, quarterback, you know, CEO. Just need to take that hat off for one second, man. What was that celebration like? Um, uh, the celebration was was incredible. I mean, I don't remember exactly what we did. Obviously, UCF was not a a hard place to have a good time. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, on the field it was special. I think after the game it was special. Um. But, you know, you can believe that we had a good time and that we celebrated that win. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, that UCF is, is definitely a school that likes to find a way to have fun. Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. So we definitely had a really, really good time. And um, I, I honestly couldn't I, – I don't actually know what we did that night, but – it was that good of a time. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's that good of a time. <laughs> was that the loudest crowd you probably ever played in front of? Um, it was definitely the loudest crowd at home. I don't know that there's anything that could challenge when we played at Florida in 2006 with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Yeah. Um, and it was early in the season, and Percy Harvin went off in that game. <laughs> he had some big plays. Yeah. And I reflect on that game kind of – once in a while, not the game itself, but the crowd noise. And mm-hmm. it was so loud that it sounded like there was no sound. Like, it, it was so loud that it just Damn. felt like it was silent. Yeah, wow, that's insane. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like, no, that's I got how you. it felt. Just like white noise. <laughs> just white noise. It was yeah. like communicating wasn't even, like, <laughs> when our offense was on the field. And I think I played in the second half of that game, a lot of the second half, and you know, the crowd was maybe out of it by then a little bit, but still, there's no doubt that that's the loudest place I've ever played. Um, the UCF, the Texas game was really, really loud, but there yeah. was a definite, definite separation in like, oh shit, this is really loud. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Honestly, man, did you ever feel like there was more pressure playing for the hometown school than if you had, say, went to Penn State or FSU? 
Um, pressure and weird, like, I I don't know that there was a ton of pressure. I kind of enjoyed that element, but it was unique for myself to be in like the newspaper. Like that took some adjustment. Like, obviously you get those things in high school and you get little write-ups and your name's in there, but you know, more of what you do is, is, uh, exposed in, in college. It would be way more today than it even was then. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt pressure, I think, from myself a lot, external pressure, um, because you, I, I went there with a purpose, which for me was to just help UCF grow and get to a better place. So nothing from the community felt like pressure. It was an adjustment, just knowing that, like, you know, there's a level of, of attention and eyeballs on you still compared to today in social media you know, totally different, but you still have a name on the back of your Jersey that you're trying to represent the right way. Absolutely. And I think I put the pressure on myself more than anybody else could have. Okay. Hold on. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. So man, let's move on to your pro career a little bit, man. I think you have some just crazy fascinating stories, man. Uh, I think I just have to dig in onto this, (laughs) man. So your first bout with the Orlando Predators was a crazy time. Uh, you essentially came out of the play-by-play booth to play, and your first start was bananas. Just kind of tell us about that and what went down. Yeah, so I was doing broadcasting for the Predators as their color analyst, and um, going into the next season where I was going to continue in that role, there was a strike. So – uh, they basically found replacement players, and I never really in- intended on playing arena football. Mm-hmm. Um, once I had chosen to go overseas and play in Germany in 2009, prior to this, like arena football was not something that I was interested in, and it had changed from when I was young. Like the Barry Wagner days, like yeah. pure Orlando Predators football, those guys are some of the best players on the team, including the quarterbacks. They're making six figures, 100K. Yeah. Yeah. You know, full health benefits, full insurance, and it had started to change. It wasn't that lucrative. So mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed broadcasting. It was like a hobby to me. And then they needed some replacement players. And so um, I got reached out to by a handful of the coaches and um, basically was a replacement player for one game. And it was very – it was just weird in general. Like I was practicing with the Predators all week but the Pittsburgh power were also like made up of Florida players. It was literally like an <laughs> exhibition game. Like, and what happened is in the locker room before the game, I thought I was the quarterback for the predators and they did a coin toss and they did a draft like in the oh locker room. Before the, game. <laughs> what? the coin gets flipped and I get picked first and the Pittsburgh power picked me to be their quarterback for the game. So I'm like, what is like, you know, I've played semi-pro football and I've played some like, you know, ridiculous scenarios, but we're yeah. having a draft before the game in the locker room for what team you're going to be on. That so, was definitely a first. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is just terrible, terrible management. Well, so I go out and warm up. And then when I come back in the locker room, the two quarterbacks, the quarterback for the Predators and the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Power have both elected to as the only normal guys on the roster. Uh, so all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm not playing. And so I ended up actually playing a few special teams plays that game, like on kickoff, because 
there basically it was poor management. There was no control. Nobody knew what was going on. It was, it was Bush league, uh, <laughs> it, you know, serious Bush league, but it was fun to, yeah. you know, at least go from the booth down to the field and kind of experience, you know, somewhat of what arena football is like um, at that point in my life. For sure, man. What a story, bro. Right, yeah, story. right. Oh, it's only, only going to get crazy from here, man. Uh, so you began <laughs> playing with the, the Dresden Monarchs in the German Football yeah. League. Uh, and that was two years after yeah. graduating from UCF. Um, yeah. How did the process of that partnership begin? And uh, what were your initial thoughts, worries about going over there to play? Um, it began from a Facebook message. Uh, okay. The coach, my coach in Germany was friends with a coach at Tulsa and we played Tulsa in the conference championship and said he was looking for a quarterback and he were, he mentioned me and that he should reach out to me. And so, um, you know, I was at a period in my life where I was pursuing broadcasting, but I, you know, I got the message asking if I wanted to come to Dresden, Germany. I'm like, well, where the hell is Dresden, Germany? Like, I'm looking on Google and seeing World War II photos of a city that had been half burned down. But at the time, I was, I was really – I think I was really struggling, if I'm being honest, on the transition out of school. Yeah, I was sure. really struggling with this deep loss of identity and how do I move on to the next stage of my life? I've always been Kyle Israel this – yeah. And now I'm trying to transition to the next stage and everybody's telling me I'm supposed to be normal, but the environment I've lived in for the last four to seven years has been super abnormal, abnormal for most people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's something that uh, still happens to this day, you know, guys yeah. figuring out like what's life like beyond the sport that I'm a part of or the thing that I love that I can no longer do. Right. Um, so for me, I was just super happy that, there was an opportunity to play. I said yes within 24 hours and then left in about three weeks. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. I mean, I, I grew up on Dean road. I was in East Orlando my whole life. I had been in this mm -hmm. bubble and then all of a sudden I'm in East Germany and, no. you know, perspective and novelty of being in a new place every day, a different culture, different city, different language. Uh, and football was just super fun. It was like no. high school level of football, probably. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't get rich. But, um, you know, I was super scared of, you know, can I play on a team where I don't speak the same language? Like, right. is it safe? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I really want to go do this at this stage in my life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I was making 800 euros a month, a month yeah. that season. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being, you know, one of the best five or six decisions I've ever made. I've, I've made incredible friends. Had I never mm. gone to Dresden, I would have never ended up in the other places that I played overseas. Right. Um, and I think I just learned a lot about me, what I want out of life, and ultimately it allowed me to get back onto a team with a purpose each week. You're going to play a game on Saturday. Mm. And it allowed me to build my identity back up and kind of at the same time release the identity that I had. Um, and I think that was really important for me because I wasn't in a great place the 18 months after yeah. I, I finished my senior year of college. Mm, man, we really appreciate that transparency, man. Yeah, really. um, yeah. It's definitely something like you said, a lot of people struggle with, man, and it's at all levels. So I couldn't imagine yeah. being a starting quarterback at a D1 level with that. That could be like, yeah. um, so, you know, 
you uh then in 2013 you get a call from Moscow to yeah. first play and then eventually you help the owner start up a developmental football league and mm-hmm. I'm only up to what you're comfortable with can you tell us how that entire thing came about um as far as you know a scary encounter that you had which essentially yeah. ended the venture <clears throat> yeah so um I there's not too much that I'm I'm too afraid of to talk about I, I'm I've started the first two or three notebooks of what will eventually be a book. I don't, I'm not sure when, uh, but um, uh, it's definitely book worthy. Uh, I I had, I had the opportunity to go from my roommate in Germany in 2009 in Dresden and um, went and played, played for a couple games, won a championship, um, did some things that were unique. It was the first ever, televised game in in of russian or of american football in russia ever and mm. you know you may have seen some of the articles online about me being over there but because the story is long but essentially you know russia is just a place that can be lawless and money rules over everything else mm. and the guy that i was working with and starting this developmental league we were trying to create a league that paid players, you know, 50,000 to $60,000 salaries. Um, so a good stepping stone where you're not going to be super wealthy, but you're going to be stable and making 50 or 60 grand in six months can go back to the States, you know, and come back and forth. And there's a lot of money and, and people uh, actually enjoyed American football. And we are going to create a reality TV show around it to be in Russia um on tv in russia that was like hard knocks um uh, meets uh real world oh man filming the entire life of the players the football side of it um and and the goal was to drive an attraction to russian women to american football to get more of an audience and viewership and build this developmental league at the same time and so that's what I, did, I was asked if I would move there and I was offered a significant amount of money to go mm-hmm. uh, to help develop this league. And I think it was just because there was nobody else that was crazy enough to do it. Um, <laughs> but um, made the decision to go. And then while we were there, Russia, you know, being being a crazy place. Um, so my the guy that I work, I always called him my boss, but the guy that owned our team and that I was working with, um, we had an office in a a very expensive piece of real estate right in the center of my talking like, you know, lower Manhattan type of real estate and the value of it. And um, Rome, Rome, I'm care- I try to be careful when I say these names, yeah. Roman Abramovich, who owned the Chelsea Soccer Club, who owns Chelsea Soccer. That's and pretty good, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh he owned or excuse me, he owned the building that we were in and they were looking to repurpose uh, this building. So my boss didn't want to let that happen. And you're saying this all happened over some real estate lease, but that's what, what happened is they wanted us out and the guy I worked for um, said, we're not leaving. And so they came in and took and basically, wow. you know, uh, occupied the space and that initial door being kicked down, sawed off shotgun in my face kind of removed out of this building um what it very very strange but there were the individuals who wanted us out of this space um hired a team of soccer hooligans um to come and remove us from the space 
physically. Jeez, so man. We were moved out, and my the guy that I worked for, who I also lived with and spent most of my time with, was kind of in the crosshairs um, of, of this other group of people. And they just wanted us or him to go away, which included me. And he also owned a newspaper in a radio station. So he saw it as an opportunity oh. to talk about, you know, how bad Russia is and, you know, why, uh, you know, we've got to stop criminalize criminalization and people doing whatever they want. He was just trying to make a story out of it. Yeah. And he pushed a lot of the wrong buttons. And uh, so they started following him and I, and I was being followed around the city for like the next three weeks. You know, there was, a presence of people following him. I was with him often to oh, following man. us uh, to eventually where he was arrested and um, he was arrested on a Wednesday afternoon for nothing. Um, and I was with him, but happened to actually go meet some friends that I had made. And so I didn't get tied up in the actual arresting scenario. Mm-hmm. Um but my, I had a friend that was on my team that got arrested with him. They stayed in a paddy wagon for three days, um, weren't allowed out. And he ended up starting a process from there where he ended up in a Siberian hard labor camp for the next four years. Oh, man. Wow. So I fled the country the next day. Um, I left $70,000 in cash there. Uh, I left my conference championship rings. I left all the notebooks that I had been writing down my experiences in, Uh. um, and, uh, went to Austria and lived in a basement in Austria for a month was thinking I was going to be able to go back to Moscow. Um, at least collect your belongings, right? Yeah. At the very minimum. But it became clear that, that that probably wasn't a good thing for me to do or a smart thing for me to do. Um, and uh, basically left all my money. They gave me $5,000 in cash to uh, kind of go away for a week, his business partner and said, come back in a week. And it never happened at the time I had sold everything I owned in Orlando. So I was planning on going to Moscow through 2020 And I did not know what to do. It's like, okay, I got, I can go back to my parents in Orlando, but I've left my, I sold my restaurant. Like I've left all these, I don't have anything in Orlando, but I couldn't get back into Russia. I was in a basement in Austria in April, May of 2014. Like, damn, I got one suitcase is all I own. And what do I do with my life? Right. So I, I ended up calling a buddy and a quarterback. This was a Sunday where I was like, all right, I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, a quarterback in Germany had broken his thumb for a team in the, in the GFL, and uh, they needed a quarterback right away. So I ended up siding with the Kiel Baltic Hurricanes and staying there and playing for seven more months. Um, Man, but Russia was crazy. No, I'm just admiring – your will to just overcome that to be able to just shift your focus to all right time to go compete for seven months okay, like, 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 98% of people fold man and go back home like wow uh, that's insane bro um and I know there's a lot to the story that you you know yeah. you kind of left out just for the sake of time but please let us know when this book hits the shelves man I'm gonna be first in line this I know the story's insane man it's deep it's deep yeah. and it's it's um 
it's a, it was a good learning experience because I don't know that there was any other way for, you know, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of like looking over your shoulder. Right. And, and right. all of a sudden you're in Moscow and you're being followed. And I just grew up. Like, I just mm-hmm. like, it was my first, like, okay, the world will eat you if mm-hmm. you're not you know, taking care of yourself. And I just was in this part of life where it was, I, I didn't know what to come back to. Yeah. And so I was willing to just continue to, to take, to say yes to opportunities. And this opportunity came up and I went to Germany quickly. Man. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, that actually, that experience, like you said, from stop playing international ball, um, even after the German season, you didn't go into Poland. Um, but just kind of give us a overall takeaway from your experiences, just both on the field and off the field, uh, just doing your international career. Because I think it would just be amazing at that age to be able to play and travel throughout Europe. Yeah. It, it, it is, and it was, and yeah. um, it's, it doesn't ever go away. Like, I still yearn for that experience. And I would say that if there's any mm-hmm. guys or uh, gals, because there's, there's basketball and now there's softball blowing up yeah. over there, if you have the uh, you're, if you have the oppor- opportunity to go play in Europe, go play in, in select countries, not just Germany, but Austria, Italy, Spain, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, Japan. Like there's a ton of places to play football specifically. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think about, you know, money. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Here's what, here's the main thing that I, here's my main experience. I got, I didn't get rich financially. I got super rich in life experience oh, and perspective. I love, I love like, yeah. like really, really hard to put like a, value on what I learned about myself, what I learned about getting out of my comfort zone, what I learned about uh, immersing myself in another culture and just being vulnerable. Um, You know, those things are really hard to to learn um, if you're in the same place forever or you don't give your chance to, to step out of your comfort zone. And I know that sounds cliche, but there are a lot of ways to go play ball overseas it will only continue to grow yeah. the leagues will continue to get stronger as american football becomes more internationalized but for me it was you know i i value my experience in international football truly for what it meant for me then i valued my time playing football at ucf like it was just such yeah. a critical part of the fabric of who i am um yeah. and so if there, if you know people, if you know who are getting a message on Facebook or, <laughs> or they're talking about, I think there's a league in Germany. Be like, check it out. Yeah, I tell people all the time, if you have the chance, go for sure. Right, right, man, that, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so you just kind of wrap this part up, man. You return back to the Orlando Predators in 2019. Unfortunately, you get hurt, but um, you kind of hinted at it with from you know transitioning from your UCF days. But talk to us about your transition from the game, you know, at the pro level um, and how were you mentally and physically coming out of it? Yeah, I, I, I think the Predators thing for me and, you know, I, I thought I retired from football like six times. So OK, I, <laughs> well, you might not technically be retired yet. Let me hope <laughs> I still don't even know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I guess it's pretty specific to me. I have a younger brother and sister 
who in 2019 were both 13 and seven. So they had never seen me play football. Mm. And um, my, my sister was one my senior year at UCF. Okay. So I, I kind of wanted to, I had played around the world, right? And I had played semi-pro football for the Orlando Rage in Orlando, which I absolutely actually was also an extremely fun experience for me mm-hmm. playing semi-pro football. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to play in front of my family one more time. Um, I was at an age at, at 33, 34, where I, I felt pretty good physically. I, I was weighing 200 pounds. So pretty nimble and, and mm-hmm. smaller than I had ever played football before. And I, I wanted to play in front of my family and, um, it was just a unique opportunity. Obviously my elbow had, had had plenty of football uh, at that oh, stage yeah. and, and didn't want to last the season, mm-hmm. but it was a way for me to kind of like be in control of like the end of my football career, do it at home after being kind of on this journey across the world playing, um, and doing it with an organization that I always really enjoyed watching um, on television growing up and going to games and broadcasting games. It was weird mm-hmm. that after nine years after being a color analyst, I was playing <laughs> right. um, again. Mm-hmm. So again. It was, yeah, it was just a way to control kind of my exit to football to some extent, but ultimately mm-hmm. like truly, I thought about my little brother and sister a lot that day and that they could see how important football, you know, was to me and to our family um, yeah. and do it in Orlando, you know, because right. these days you don't run into many people, at least in my day to day life that are like born and raised here, no. you know, strictly grew up here. Um, and, and I wanted to, to do it here, but it was a, and you, and, and everybody loves being a part of a team. Right. And so, oh, yeah that was an easy thing to jump back into. I just love being a part of a team again. Um, yeah. but it was, it was, it was nice to do it at home and in an am way. And, um, you know, test myself as I, I got into my mid thirties. Right. And now, you know, when you talk to ex football players or athletes in general, when you ask them what they miss most about the game, it's always the locker room, the bus oh, rides, the plane <laughs> ride, stuff like that, you know, it <laughs> just is hanging out it with is. guys. Yeah, man. So, um, talk to us. And I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Is it Nestra Health and Performance? Nestry. Yeah. Nestry. All right. Talk mm-hmm. to us about Nestry Health and Performance, man. I find this company really fascinating. Uh, you're the COO. Uh, you guys really have some heavy hitters when it comes to investors and partners. That includes Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson. Uh, just tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about it and how you got involved. So it it, it um, Nestry is an acronym for NeuroStrength. And uh, we are a neuro strength company. So we build solutions, um, digital uh, sports and health tech solutions to train the mind and the brain the same way that we train the other muscles in our body. Um, So we're strength and conditioning from the neck up. And um, we leverage technology that uh, maps the brain, scans the brain, and from a function and network level, um, you can train it like a muscle. You can put more weight on the bar. You can make it more challenging. And we're also mm-hmm. building a digital app um, where uh, you're able to train your brain and mind as well. And guys like Calvin Johnson have invested and will be featured in the app um, with, with really, if you think of a combination between, you know, a calm and a lumosity, 
where it's uh, calm is meditation. We're way more performance mindset, okay. uh, mental wellness mindset. And then we uh, are developing uh, cognitive brain training, high fidelity games that also train the network level of the brain. So we have an app that we're building and we have a in-person live training where you're hooked up to this uh, technology that, that we use to, to put you through training sessions. And um, my, I got into it and I, I became a, a co-founder because I, I was seeing the same type of depression in student mm-hmm. athletes that I was mentoring coming mm-hmm. out of UCF that I had. And it's, it started to become so obvious that I just wasn't okay with accepting it anymore. Um, because there's a lot of guys and, and, but guys coming out of the football team that were suffering in silence that were just like, just remember, like, think about this. Here's what you lose when you're done playing, whether that's in high school, college, pro, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. It's hard to lose a relationship, right? A breakup sucks, but then you lose yeah, 120 man. at the same time. Like I never thought about it like that. Interaction, right? You're losing yeah. a ton of relationships, which has a right. huge emotional impact, whether you think it does or not. Yeah. You also lose the rigor and the structure, and our brains, once in a rigorous cycle where you're continuing to compete, high, um, high or very uh, performance driven environment mm-hmm. where there's a ton of day-to-day stimulation, right? Yeah. A ton of pursuit of something, a good practice, yeah. a good series, and then a game at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. And so you have this scenario where your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, when you study, when you go to class, when you practice, when you hang out with your friends, when you go to sleep, it was all done for you. It was all planned yeah. for you. You just go do what you do, which for me was go throw the football. Uh, but so you've lost these relationships, you've lost this rigor, and then you lose your identity, and, yeah. and you're losing the things that when you looked in the mirror, you said, "This is who I am," or "This is, uh, you know, a huge piece of me." And and even more important, this is how people see me, and this yeah. is where other people see value in me, yeah. and you lose that. You walk across the stage and you lose it. Now people remember mm-hmm. that you played and we do these mm-hmm. types of, we have these types of conversations, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you're human. And I was taken from this abnormal environment and told to go be normal. And I yeah. kept seeing the same cycle in these guys that um, I was mentoring. And I reached out uh, uh, to my now co-founder, Dr. Tommy Shavers, who had seven concussions when he was a captain at UCF in the late nineties and early two thousands. And those concussions ended his career and he had created what we call the mental framing method to rewire his brain, to completely heal his brain. And we, he, he learned that he could leverage the science of neuroplasticity to do this. And neuroplasticity basically is saying that our brain and mind can change, will change throughout our entire life. It can get stronger, it can get weaker. And if you're intentional about it, um, through language, through technology, you can strengthen it just like you can Mm -hmm. strengthen a muscle. And Mm -hmm. doing um, uh, case studies and work leveraging uh, a technology that's out there on the market with our theory behind you know, if you do it like this and you do it 
with the intentionality and the dose response like this, then we think it can have significant impact. And in fact, in our case studies, we were able to work with a number of guys um, that were either uh, suffering from the long-term symptoms of concussions or what they thought were early symptoms of CTE um, mm. or with athletes like Josh McCown who were using our solutions to increase his performance. Um, mm. And so that drew the attention of other guys in the space. We were able to bring on Calvin as investor, Julius Thomas, yeah. um, um, is uh, getting his doctorate um, in neuropsychology. So, uh, we were able to put a really strong team around us and um, we'll be we're developing uh, the newest version of our app, which will get to market this January. Um, but really all under the premise of if we want to help build a better world with the human in mind and, and we want to provide solutions for people to get better. For me, the journey started from, you know, my lived experience as I left college for Dr. Shavers, it was his lived experience suffering from cognitive decline and, um, you know, the solutions that he built and we partnered with our chief scientific officer, Dr. Elhanan Goldberg, who basically wrote the book on cognitive function, executive function, which is the ability to, to plan, like how do I get yeah. up and execute life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we'll have an app that'll be out uh, to the public in January. Um, that's going to be your most important workout of the day. A yeah. workout to train your brain, literally physically, and train your mind, and and everybody can use that, especially coming out of COVID and this pandemic. And mm -hmm. um, you hear about mental health a lot, right? We're hearing yeah. that narrative. Yeah. But what is the solution, and mm -hmm. and who is providing solutions uh, to help people get better? And so we're super excited about being one of the companies in this this digital tech space that is doing that, and. Um, you know, have some, some great investors and um, are based out, out here in Lake Nona. Um, so super excited about it. It's, it's a challenge. Startup world's not easy. Fundraising is not easy. Oh, yeah. Um, and raising money in the venture capital space uh, is not easy. Uh, and all based around science and, and, and uh, performance uh, and training uh, is quite a bit to, to mm -hmm. learn in many, t in many cases, but even mm -hmm. from a business perspective, um, it's a lot, but it's been, uh, an incredible experience to see what we were able to do with our case studies and the work that we did there and, and really changing people's lives. And, uh, we're excited about bringing that to the broader population here at the beginning of next year. This is dope, man. I really I like hope that, that uh, <laughs> yeah, I really hope that athletes, current athletes, ex-athletes and people in general are really open to this, man. Cause I think this yeah. thing definitely has some legs to it. So I'm excited to see what the future is for you. Yeah, for Appreciate sure, man. That. Hey, Chappelle, do you have any questions before we get into quick hitters? Let's get to the quick hitters. And you know, right, this is my man. favorite part. Our quick hitter segment today is brought to you by Jarrell McCoy, your Central Florida realtor. For most people, a home is the largest asset that they will ever own in their lifetime. When getting to the real estate market, you should have an expert by your side to help you avoid the numerous pitfalls that a real estate transaction can have. Regardless of what side of the transaction you're on, Darrell McCoy and his team have proven winning strategies to assist you with all of your real estate needs. So if there's a home you want to buy or sell, just pick up your phone and call Darrell. Call or text 407-234-0923 for your free, no obligation consultation. Again, that's 407 
234-0923. Jarrell McCoy, your Central Florida Realtor. So kick us off, Kyle. All right, so what this is basically, Kyle, man, we uh we ask everybody who comes on the show, these are just first things that come to mind. Um, yeah. Typically, we want to get it based off of high school, Orlando. All right, uh, most talented high school teammate you've ever had. Uh, I, the most talented teammate I ever had was a guy named Gabby Torres was a running back my sophomore year in high school. I think he had like uh, 18 or 1900 yards rushing um, my sophomore year, his senior year. Uh, he was the most talented at university for sure. Okay, right. solid, man. So, Kyle, you get to build your offense here, right? Who are the three receivers that you're choosing? Conditions are they have to be from the Orlando – they have to be from an Orlando area school – and you've never played a regular season game with them. Um, okay. So um, if I'm basing it off, like Mike Sims Walker uh, oh, played yes. with in college. Yeah, yeah that'll uh, work. That'll work. But if I, I would still choose Mike, um, uh, very, very talented receiver out of Edgewater, did a lot with the Jaguars and, and certainly yeah. did a lot at UCF. Um, yeah. Doug Gabriel uh, okay. out of Dr. Phillips High School, played at UCF but um those two stick out for me um and then um I give you a little nudge man we'll just say Brandon Marshall you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that one (laughs) got to play with (laughs) again (laughs) I got your back brother (laughs) let me say this let me uh I gotta say something real quick Uh so I just said Mike Walker and I just said Brandon Marshall my freshman year at UCF both of those guys played on defense wow goodness (laughs) Uh, I assume safety Mike was a corner Oh my yeah. gosh, man! They didn't even play That's on insane. offense my freshman year. They were they both went to the league. It's That's actually insane. mind blowing. Yeah, <laughs> crazy athletes, man. <laughs> Speaking of college, what yeah. was your uh, welcome to the big time college football moment that you had? Oh, um, I think I think from an experience perspective, we played the first game of my career at Wisconsin, mm. and seeing those Big Ten like. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I don't know where you they know, grow them at. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a different size human. <laughs> the fans in the Big Ten were were super intense. That experience that day in Camp Randall Stadium mm-hmm. um, was like, wow, I'm at the next <laughs> stage of life. Um, but my first big welcome to to college football was, um, you know, I, I played versus West Virginia my freshman year, and Pac-Man Jones was their starting corner. And it was the first time that I had seen, um, you know, what a real like corner slash athlete looks like and how they play. Yeah. Yeah. And he was incredible. And, and I only played probably the last quarter and a half of that game. But, um, it, you know, I don't I didn't have like a big hit or anything like that. It was like mm. welcome to college football. But I had this like oh, man, like this is a totally different level in, in that yeah. Wisconsin game and then seeing Pac-Man Jones in my second game. Yeah. yeah. Sure, and I, I, I want to ask, G, how, how big were these uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin offensive linemen? You I mean, you're talking 6'8", 325, 330, 340 across the board. Um, just – and here's the weird thing. This is – most people probably wouldn't care about this, but – 
a lot of college football fields, like there's a crown in the field. So like in the middle of the field, you're, mm-hmm. you're basically a foot taller than where you are on the sideline. Yeah. And it was like, and so they looked huge. <laughs> the same thing happened when my freshman year, we went to Miami of Ohio and it was big Ben's first year with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the night we played them, they like inducted him. They retired his Jersey or something like that. Like instantly. Cause he was big time at Miami of Ohio and seeing yeah. him was like, I didn't know that it was a quarterback. He looked like one of the big Wisconsin <laughs> offensive linemen. Right. Um, so that was also like, holy shit, man. Yeah. See why he shakes off so many sacks. <laughs> For real. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so two-part baseball question here, Kyle. Yeah. You can go back as far as you want, man. Little League, AAU, whatever. Toughest local pitcher you face and the best local position player that you played against. Easy. They both went to the same high school, and I played them a bunch growing up. Uh, Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke was the best pitcher by far. And at the time, he played a lot more shortstop. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was a better – he was one of the best hitters in Central Florida. So he was only pitching like his senior – I played him his junior year. His senior year, he pitched a lot more. But before Mm -hmm. that, he was just like a stud shortstop that could – could hit it out of the park at any point in time. So he's by far the best pitcher. And then Michael Taylor was also on those same Apopka teams. He played uh, left field and he got drafted straight out of high school. Um, And actually he went to Stanford, turned down being drafted and then ended Mm -hmm. up being drafted again. But those two guys were on the same field and same team at that time. And Michael, Michael Taylor was, was six, five, um, look like a basketball player, like yeah. just physically big, big shoulders. Yeah. You could hit the ball yeah. out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- those Apopka baseball teams back when I was coming up were insane. I mean, insane. Real deal. Real, yeah. real deal. Real deal. <laughs> nah, a shout out to Zach Greenkey, man. For real. Now, I'm, the, uh, I'm a big food head, man. So yeah. what's your favorite uh, place to eat in Orlando? Yeah. Good, really good question, um, and it's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a place called Lee and Rick's that does oysters. <laughs> oh, Kyle, you talking to us now, brother? You talking to us? Lee and Rick's is just a staple to go in there and sit at the cement bar and have people <laughs> shuck oysters for you. Um, I th- I saw something the other day that that place has been in that family like since. It, like maybe since 1939, 1940, I'm not sure exactly, but Lee and Rick's for me is like old Orlando. I know what I'm getting when I go there and I just love, you know, you know that experience. Um, sure. So I would say Lee and Rick's. Anytime you want to go. If Kyle was still at UCF today, man, we might have to give him an NIL deal with Lee and Ricks. Lee and Ricks, exactly. Hey, Kyle, uh, give me someone you uh, either played with or against in high school that you thought was uh, severely underrated. Good question. Um, I always thought RJ Summerall, who was a wide receiver out of Winter Park, um, mm-hmm. was, was, I don't know, he was, everybody knew about him, but. Mm-hmm. I never felt like he got the respect that, that he deserved. Um, Mm. and he ended up going to Iowa state. Uh, and so, you know, in central Florida, 
kind of his his name didn't carry on as much but mm-hmm. i always thought he was pretty pretty underrated and mm-hmm. i i would I, boone always played like really good football coach ziggler uh, was like yeah. amazing coach yeah um and i felt like their team was always like as a whole they were just always a great team they well they had coach. some yeah. yeah well coached hard to beat mm-hmm. you know they weren't going to beat themselves exactly. they weren't going to make mistakes yeah. Um, and I always respect Boone a lot. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think their whole team was just so team oriented that not a lot of mm-hmm. people stood out, but they always had really good players. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I feel that way about Boone just as a whole. No, that's a great point, man. I got I got to have Coach Ziggler coach me at the All-Star game, man. Learn more in a week, man. Yeah. I don't want to throw my O-line coach under the bus, but that dude was – he was on it, man. So that's he coached my uncles. He coached my dad and my uncles ah. all at Boone. So yeah, yeah, we don't proud. really get to touch on that, man. But football yeah. runs deep in your family, man. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And with my cousin, it's gone beyond after after me yeah. as well. For sure, for sure. I like that. I was gonna ask, man, when you were uh, when you were playing, when you were in high school, uh, which local quarterback did you always follow or maybe check for? Yeah. If it was either, you know, recruiting, stat-wise, you know, yeah. what were some quarterbacks you, you were looking at? I mean, I, I mean, I certainly paid attention early on in my high school career to, to Stephen, Stephen Moffat at Winter Park. I mean, yeah. um, he was – he always looked just way better than everybody else on the field. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, I, I tended to follow what he was doing, but it was really hard. I mean, Lee Sloan at Oviedo, I would always kind of pay attention to. Uh, mm-hmm. We had played Oviedo a couple of times, and he started as a sophomore like me. But mm-hmm. really, Xavier Lee took the attention. Um, yeah. You know, what he was doing at Seabreeze. And, you know, I, I guess in my sophomore, junior year of high school, like that's when Rivals basically kind of started. Yeah. And, you were seeing like high school players being covered and put on a pedestal really like outside of the core newspaper, like for the first time. And and so Xavier Lee was putting up insane numbers, throwing the football video game numbers, like like crazy numbers. And Mm -hmm. he had a stronger arm. than He was also (laughs) the fastest guy on the field. And he was also six, four. (laughs) <laughs> right. um, so when coach Bowden was like you know son you're you know we have Xavier and Drew Weatherford in, in the same class but we want you to come the next season I was I had already had three years of kind of like being yeah. in the same recruiting cycle and going to camp with Xavier and I'm like I don't really want any part of that hey Kyle look here man no judgment here bro that's a business decision I feel yeah. you man I was like, uh, no, you know, if you could see into the future, he ended up at tight end and and Drew played a lot more. uh, You know, there's no doubt that in Central Florida, for sure, Xavier Lee really took the spotlight um, at the quarterback position. And uh, you always checked on Saturday morning in the newspaper. Yeah, 300 yards, like (laughs) – 100, 100 rushing and five touchdowns. And that was before that type of stuff was common. Like, right, right. You know, that was just my, a cousin Tucker, part. my cousin Tucker at Lake Nona, um, you know, he broke every record in the mm-hmm. state of high school football history. Like, yeah, yeah. we get into arguments sometimes about, like, who's a better quarterback. And 
uh, you know, it's just it's just evolved so much. Right. The offenses, football style in general yeah. has evolved. But back then, when you're throwing for three thousand yards in a season and forty touchdowns, like that wasn't something you saw very often, if at no. all. No, um, you're right. Yeah, these kids, the quarterbacks today, get a lot more on their plate, man. Coaches yeah. are, yeah, trust them. Like you said, a lot of it has to do with seven on seven and just the growth overall. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Last question for you, man. This one might get you in trouble, but <laughs> top three players you played against in high school. Um. So for sure, Brandon Seiler, um, oh, out of Evans. Yeah. And uh there was there was just not many guys like him at the linebacker position and you just knew when he was on the field and where he was at and, and you yeah. better as a quarterback. Yeah. You, you knew you were playing against an NFL or Yeah, and that that year we played them we ran that damn option. So oh, I was like oh. running the football, like fake to the fullback, pull up through the B gap, and he was like right there. So Coach Coach Flath must have hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Flath, uh, he, 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 yeah, he, he learned quickly to, to go spread, but Brandon <laughs> stands out instantly. Yeah. Um, there was a guy by the name, and many people won't remember him because his career kind of fell apart at the next level, but there was a guy named Howard Lingard who was out of Oviedo High School, and he was the best athlete without a doubt. He was probably 6'3", mm-hmm. 245 pounds he played defensive end he played running back he was the fastest guy on kickoff team like you could just I remember on he was on kickoff and they're kicking off to us and he was like six yards further down the field than everybody else and (laughs) I've never seen one player actually dominate a game like that like just on the offensive side and the defensive side um and he went on he got a full scholarship at florida and ended up getting in in trouble i think Mm. um but those two those two stick out instantly um and then uh you know i i've said his name already but when you think of stephen moffitt at the time um you know he was very highly recruited and Mm. Uh, he was the first quarterback that I really saw from Central Florida kind of in that era where you knew he was good enough to go be a D1 football player and that he would play right. D1 somewhere. Um, and we played each other twice. So, mm-hmm. um, And he won both of those games. So I, I just always had a high level of respect for Steven and thought he was very talented. I, I, I say those three names um, without forgetting that we're simply a, a football hotbed. Oh yeah, man! And we got insane amount of talent in Orlando. So those are just guys that like are salient to me that I remember specifically. Mm -hmm. I'm missing fifty that were absolutely yeah. That's what I said. That's a question. Trouble, man. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I even think of Aaron Jones and and some other guys Uh, that were at Edgewater. um, Yeah, but uh, yeah, a ton of talent here, and and that's pretty obvious. You might have been our first guest who's listening, including him from Edgewater. So, bravo to you, man. Right. <laughs> hey, no, I didn't want to mess with Edgewater or Popka back in the day, man. Oh, like, man. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I, we I played them. I played them 
a f- Edgewater twice and a Paca twice. And, yeah. you know, I got West Orange County. I got a lot of respect for West Orange County and the football yeah. town over there. Yeah, um, they grow them up different over they there. They do. Sure. They yeah. do. And that goes from, that goes from, you know, when I was in Pop Warner, we were playing Pine Hills and we were playing a Popka. Mm-hmm. It's like you just see those guys, uh, you know, on those little, in the in Little League and then all the way up. But mm-hmm. Orlando is definitely a hotbed and, uh, I think this place will remain a hotbed well, well into the future. Absolutely, man. Well, Kyle, that's all we had on our end, man. It's been yeah. a beautiful conversation, bro. We really appreciate it. Uh, Definitely I, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. The stories were amazing. Thank um, you. And I know that you're going to do great things with Nestry, man. And uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that, as well as this book. I'm on you about yep. that, man. Please, please let me know. So, I will. I appreciate good luck with everything, bro. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you, man. Thank you. Stay safe, and uh, we'll be in touch, man. Yeah, man. Please, uh, let's let's have another one in the future. Definitely stay safe, and um, I, I I'll be tuning in uh, both to your your previous uh, interviews and podcasts and your future ones because I think it is a unique style, and um, just love what you guys are doing. And I know from my broadcasting experience, it, it takes work. So yeah, keep up the work, and and uh, thanks for putting good content out there. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. All, right. All right, guys. You guys have Take a good care. Day. That was class of 2004, University High School football standout, UCF alum, and EuroLeague football vet Kyle Israel. We appreciate his time, stories, and transparency. Washed Up Boys signing out. Thank you, thank you. It has been another episode of Washed Up Boys. It's your boy, C. Rose. It's your boy KG. And we appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe. Tell your mama, tell your brother, tell your cousin, tell your... Gee, I ain't forgetting nobody, right? You all good, my brother. All right, man. So tune in next week. We're going to have another crazy episode. And we are out. Peace.